I'm going to be Felix. I got uh, the lab coat, and I got some goggles. I got a big old walrus mustache, too. We'll see how long that lasts. <clears throat> uh, did somebody say over something over here? That's <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> All right. Well, um, something that uh, not everybody knows, but as a uh, pastor, I get to do something that I enjoy, which is to plan um, and take trips, mission trips, uh, other trips. We've taken some groups to Israel, um, but I've taken a couple of groups of high schoolers to El Salvador, took a group of, of uh, our church to uh, Bolivia, and I'm not even sure how many um, groups I've taken to El Salvador on mission trips of adults. So all those different things, you think, okay, I'm planning all the flights and motels and hotels and and uh, the, the ministry that we're going to do there and the, how we're going to, you know, get around in the country and organizing, you know, moving here and there and everywhere and, and uh, all that stuff. But then I thought, you know what, it's really not that far of a stretch because my job is to uh, basically plan one group um, trip. Uh, who wants to go to heaven? Okay, that's most people. Um, the greatest um, adventure that you will ever go on, um, you will certainly go somewhere. Um, we want you to go to heaven. Would you agree? Okay, so the directions and the planning are all under your seat. Everybody? If you want to go, all you have to do, all expense paid trip to the greatest place you'll ever visit that exists in the universe, and the directions are right under your seat. Can you grab them? Anybody? There you go. Right there. And so if you want to go, how are you going to get there? You're going to hope? You're going to wish? Okay. How do we get there? Anybody? Read it, know it, Bible. Jesus. Okay, so um, how many of you know that if you have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're guaranteed to go to heaven? Okay, so if, uh, if you want to go, you got to know what's in here. And here's the thing. I... <laughs> I was going to have a lot of fun, fun with this, and I decided <laughs> not to have as much fun as I... Because it's so serious. The, the, the reality is that I'm just so concerned with our, our direction of our country and our world because the, the thing that is being undermined, dismissed, rejected, ridiculed, mocked is not just Jesus... But more and more, this book, and, and you see it all, like the, the Bible is just being thrown away by so many people in our culture right now in favor of nothing, nothing good, nothing beneficial, nothing valuable. It's just they, we don't want 
God to tell us how it's supposed to go. We want to tell God how it's supposed to go. But he tells us that the access, that the opportunity, that the invitation, um, Revelation twenty two seventeen, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. The price has been absolutely, fundamentally, completely paid in the sacrifice of Jesus. Amen? And God says, I have the greatest experience for you. Absolute wonder without end. Glory that is infinite. I mean, absolutely, completely infinite. And it's yours. I'm inviting you. I'm calling you. I'm in... I almost want to say begging you to accept it. And it's, it's all right here. And he said, just reach out and grab it. It's yours. And so we often um, talk about how to get to heaven. I'm just going to say it really bluntly, clearly, and then we're going to move on to where we're going. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by him. That's, if the Bible said that there was a, another way, I'd tell you there's another way, okay? But he said that's, that's the way. It's the only way through him, through faith in him, trusting him. And then everything else that we read in Scripture brings us to a relationship with him, how to live your life for him, and then what, what he wants to do with you. And so we just take the Bible at its word and we live it and we study it and we apply it and, and we share it. And, and guess what? When all this is over, and it's going to be over sooner or later, <laughs> for some sooner than later, we have only joy, peace, and glory forever. And uh, I don't know. There, there's a saying that says, uh, everybody wants to go to heaven. Have you heard this? Everybody wants to go to heaven, and nobody wants to go today. <laughs> and I'm kind of actually wondering if that's starting to be less and less true. Like, it's almost like, Jesus, come back today, please. I'm ready right now. Um, but I'm, I'm looking forward to it, and I, I really want to help and encourage you to look forward to the glory that is a promise to us in God's word that is heaven. So let's stand as we read God's word. Revelation 21, 1 through 7 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. 
I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God, and he will be my son. Now, if you keep reading, there is a warning. Okay, in verse 8, he says, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. And basically, this is all, all of us. We were all that at one time. But some will choose to reject the gospel and the grace of God through Jesus Christ and to continue in that sinful nature, in that sinful behavior. He says, their portion will be the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And Father, we thank you that even as you hold out the wonder and the glory of heaven and call us to it, Lord, you, you warn us in the midst of it to turn away from all that entangles and entraps us, Lord, of this world. The things that we were once, you've paid for and changed and forgiven and redeemed and, and uh, put away as far as the east is from the west from us, Lord, we thank you for that. God, we couldn't have done it. We couldn't have um, paid for it. We couldn't have earned it. We couldn't have done enough good works to uh, buy it. We, we couldn't have earned enough money to, to uh, give in exchange for even a small portion of it, Lord, a fraction. We thank you that you paid it all. You paid it all. You made it possible. And then you just turn around and offer it to us, Lord. And, and sometimes we look at ourselves and we think how unworthy we are to receive uh, an inheritance like this, Lord. We are counted as brothers and sisters with Christ for eternity. We are, we are made children of God. We are, we are given the keys to the kingdom. We have mansions, Lord, in heaven that uh, you've prepared for your people and, and you've made the way possible by, by your sacrifice, by your resurrection, and then empowered us by your Holy Spirit to claim, understand, and, and have a certainty of it. And Lord, we thank you that um, that certainty, that uh, confidence, Lord, can be ours, not in our work, but in yours. And God, we, uh, we just want to call the world to attention that this world is ending, that lives end every day, and they speed into eternity, and they exist forever somewhere. And it's something to, to allow our hearts to be inspired by. That you made us in your image and you want us to receive glory. And we thank you that that's possible through a simple thing like faith. We believe, we trust in you. And we thank you that you hold out the gift forever you make it accessible. And Lord, we claim it by faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to just clarify something really quick as we kind of dive into this 
what is heaven, you know? Um, the Bible uses uh, that word, and it uses it in a few different ways, and sometimes we kind of get a little bit confused, and I'm not saying you're all confused about this, um, but it is a question that I get sometimes, which is, is, is God um, in outer space somewhere, or does he exist like here? Is he higher? Is he outside of the universe? Is he, where is God? And so uh, Paul talks about this. He says uh, in 2 Corinthians that he uh, knew a man who went to the third heaven. Have you heard this? And he's talking about himself, and, and he, he said, in the body, out of the body, I don't know, but he went to the third heaven. He saw the, all these wonderful things and some things he couldn't even speak about. And when he says the third heaven, what that is a reference to is that the Bible uses the term heaven to talk about the sky. Okay, that's the first heaven. That's where birds fly and, and uh, clouds, you know, rain down uh, water on us. And that's the first heaven. Okay, second heaven is space where stars and sun and moon and planets and all those things, you know, that's where the second heaven is. And then there's the third heaven. It's not physically higher or beyond or separate. It's, it's a spiritual place where God lives, where God exists. And I think we kind of get that, but sometimes the Bible will use that language and we're like, I'm not sure what that means, but that's what that means. The third heaven is not like the first heaven is, you know, all dogs go to heaven and the second heaven is, you know, where, I don't know, what's the next best thing? Cats? <laughs> Horses? Who's a horse person? Third heaven is where human... And that's not it, okay? It's not like, you know, pie heaven, cake heaven, and then ice cream heaven. It's, it's sky, space, and then where God dwells. And so we begin to get a, a sense of this heaven that he says in, in Revelation, uh, something's going to happen after the millennial reign of Christ, after the judgment that... God is going to do something that will be similar to how it was when he created the universe, but it's going to even be beyond that, which is he's going to, he's going to dissolve the universe, the created things. That's what Peter says. It's going to all go up in a blaze of fire, and then it's going to be recreated. And so this recreation... It's not like it was in the beginning where God created out of nothing, ex nihilo. It's this renewal. It's God taking the elements as they are. He's, he's rebuilding, but he's making it perfect. He's cleansing. He's changing, and he's then recombining. This is mysterious stuff. This is fun stuff to think about, but he's going to bring heaven, Jerusalem, the heavenly place where he dwells. He's going to now combine it together with a newly created universe, the new heavens and the new earth. The whole Bible talks about this. It's not just in Revelation. Isaiah talks about it. There's a new heaven and a new earth, and they are somehow going to come back together in a perfect relationship with each other, and we will live together in this new place. Okay? Now, he talks about it in Revelation as three different things, okay? He talks about a city. How many of you want to live in a city? Okay. <laughs> we live in Mercer County predominantly, and we don't like to live in cities. We prefer small towns or countryside. So I thought, you know what? There are people that have a hard time 
grasping what this city thing is about because to us, most of us, if not all of us, we look at a big city like a place to avoid, (laughs) right? I mean, for the most part, yeah, we might go visit one once in a while because they, maybe they have some cool stuff there or something. But it's like in and out, and I, I don't want to live there. And even visiting is kind of making me nervous. Um, but here's the deal with heaven as far as the New Jerusalem goes. A couple things. One is um, some people have done the math and theorized. And some of this, just this, don't, don't get worked up about it, okay? But some people have theorized that because of the size and the scope and the height and it's a square and all this stuff that depending on how many people are going to heaven, which is far less than what we probably assume, unfortunately, um, if you could average how many people have trusted Christ over the centuries, every person in heaven in the New Jerusalem, and listen, New Jerusalem is not all of heaven, okay? It's just a part. But even in the New Jerusalem, everybody will get something like two square miles of space, okay? Now, some of you farmers, you know how many acres is it, two square miles? How many acres is one square mile? 640. You had that. So times two, 1,280, okay? Now, anybody live on 1,280 acres? I assume that some people do, but um, I don't think anybody probably in in this room lives on 1,280 acres where you have no neighbors within two miles of of anywhere that you could turn. Anybody? So does living in this city sound a little bit better, (laughs) a little bit more palatable? Um, But here's the thing is, regardless, I believe this is a a literal thing. I believe the streets of gold are real. The, the foundations of these precious stones are real. The, the gates made of a, a single pearl are real things. Okay, I believe these are real, literal things that are going to be in place. But there's also a figurative meaning. Okay, In ancient Israel, in these days, living in the country, although to us would be preferable, It seems safer than living in a big city. They lived in a country that was constantly being attacked from outside foreign forces. And when these outside foreign forces would come into their land and attack, those living in the country by themselves were the most vulnerable. Do you understand that? They they were unprotected. Cities were the place that you went to find security. You, you went into fortified walls. You went to where there were people, your people, who could uh, you know, protect and, and uh, find some safety. And so the issue of the city, uh, although it is literal, is also figurative, which means that um, it's a place of perfect protection. No fear, no danger. Uh, why does it say there's no more sea? You ever wonder about that? Scratch your head like, what, what's so bad about oceans? Anybody like to go swimming in the ocean? One person. Um, okay, you don't like going in the water? So 
for this crowd, no C sounds like a great thing, apparently. <laughs> like, no C? Perfect. I like land. Okay, well, here's the deal. Except for me and Tish, you like to go swimming in the ocean, apparently. Um, the deal is that in Daniel and in Revelation, there, there's a specific um, prophecy or um, detail about out of the sea comes rebellion. And it's, a, it's a meant to be figurative. It's meant to, meant to be a mysterious um, representation of the source. The sea itself is not literally the source. It's the idea that this is the place where the beast rises from, the sea. In this description where it says there is no sea, what it's referring to is the reality that there is no possibility whatsoever that there will be rebellion ever again. Okay? People will ask, well, you know, I have a choice to choose God or to reject him. You have a choice. God made you with that choice. He made you in his image. And what that means is he respects you enough to say, you decide. You want to follow me? Great. If you don't, so that's your choice. And you say, well, then in heaven, will I still have the choice? Could I possibly rebel and reject God in heaven? Is that still going to be a possibility? Anybody ever wonder that? And maybe you haven't wondered that, and that's fine. But the reality is, there's one life, there's one death, then judgment. And what happens is that whatever your decision here, you carry that into eternity. And God says, you've made your decision. You don't have to worry or wonder whether or not in heaven am I going to mess up. So just in case you're a type A personality <laughs> and you're kind of wondering, uh, man, what if I mess up in heaven? It's not possible. There's no possibility. It's a perfect place. You're perfect. And the whole reality is there's no more opportunity for rebellion to happen. So there's perfect protection. Uh, there's no sea. There's a, uh, another symbol or another um, description, I should say here, in verse 22. It says, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God the Almighty, and the Lamb. What does that mean? It means that we now in heaven have perfect presence. The manifest presence of God is going to be always tangible and, and real and in your experience, and you will never leave the presence of God no matter where you go. Okay, now some of you say, hmm, anybody? Just like, hmm, okay, I had to get on the 8 o'clock crowd because they just were not like, <laughs> they weren't responding very vocally, okay. Head nods are great, but I need a little bit of something. Okay. So <laughs> All right, so here's the deal. Um, once in a while, and, and I don't experience this as often as maybe some people do, but once in a while, especially in prayer for me, but then once in a while in, in a really moving worship song, okay, you feel like tangibly feel the manifest presence of God. Anybody? Yeah. Just like, man, that I don't want that song to end or that time of prayer is just like, wow. And it is 
the most amazing, awe-inspiring feeling that, that, that you can have. And, and some people are like, well, I don't know if I've really ever felt that. That's okay, um, because we're all kind of under this cloud of, of darkness where we're, we're, we're seeking this presence of God, and sometimes we just come, like, brush against it, or sometimes it just seems like it breaks through our, our world or, or whatever ignorance or darkness that we're under, and sometimes God just, like, breaks through that. But nobody, okay, experiences that completely 100% of the time. Nobody does. We, we, we gl- glimpse it. We, we bump against it once in a while. But in heaven, that feeling of awe and wonder and glory and joy and, and just elation, okay, is going to be your constant feeling and sense. <laughs> I mean, as happy as you've ever been, you're going to be that way for eternity. David talks about it. He said, I will experience pleasures at your right hand forever. Okay? That's going to be our experience in heaven. It's going to be beyond any kind of joy that we've ever known. It's perfect presence, the manifest presence of God. And then it's going to be a garden. Verse 20, or chapter 22 says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. There's a perfect provision, okay? Perfect protection, perfect presence, and perfect provision. This is what God's promising in heaven. You're going to experience constantly that there's never a lack, never a want, never I wish. It's always going to be perfectly provided. And I'm taking a little bit of encouragement that there is food in heaven. Anybody? Like, he says it's yielding its fruit each month. There's a wedding supper of the lamb. There's a, Jesus said, I'm not going to drink of the, the fruit of the vine again until I drink it again in the, what, kingdom of heaven. So there's food in heaven. So anybody looking forward to being able to eat and not get fat? I mean, I haven't gotten to our perfect body yet, but apparently we can't spoil it. So I'm thankful for that. But there's not going to be any gluttony. It's not like you're going to be in there, you know, eating donuts and uh, shoving this food. And you're it's just going to be like, uh, it, you enjoy it, but I don't need it. And that's going to be awesome. It's going to be the perfect relationship with food and creation and God and each other and without any anything to overwhelm that with sin or evil excess or lack. It's going to be awesome. Okay, so it's perfect provision. And then what will we be like? Um, you know, so I said we'll, we'll be eating, I believe. I think that's uh, apparent. What will we be like? Paul says that um, we will be something like we have never really understood. He says that you are like a seed planted that is planted in shame, it's going to be raised in glory. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Go back and read that whole chapter. He goes into great detail and tells you one basic thing, okay? What you will be is greater than anything that you can imagine. It's as if you now are like the acorn. And 
in heaven, you're going to be like the oak tree. But everybody's different. He says uh, each physical thing has a, a, a spiritual you know, re- reality that you're going to be something that you can't even imagine. And I sometimes um, think, well, maybe we'll be like Jesus was when he was raised from the dead. Remember when he came out of the tomb and, and uh, he uh, talked to Mary Magdalene? And she's like, who is this guy? Is this the gardener? Where's Jesus? Remember that? And then he went and he appeared um, in the, the closed upper room where the disciples were gathering, and he didn't seem to have opened the door, and it was locked, and he kind of went through, you know, these things that he, well, he shouldn't be able to do that. He just kind of appeared here. You remember that? And then he's talking to the couple guys on the, the road to Emmaus, and, I mean, he's just talking to them for, like, it's like six, seven-mile walk. And they're talking, walking along. He's explaining Scripture to them. They don't know it's Jesus until they get to this place, and he breaks bread, and they're like, oh, this is Jesus. Like, is it like that? And I thought, well, maybe that, maybe it's kind of like that, but I don't think so. I think it's uh, different than that. This is what 1 John says. He says, uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, he says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. Okay? You catch that? What we will be has not yet appeared. Now, when John wrote that, had he seen Jesus? Anybody? Had he walked with Jesus for not only his earthly life and his ministry, but then for the 40 days that Jesus was raised and on the earth until he ascended into heaven? So John had been in contact, close contact with the risen Christ, and he says, what, he, what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Listen, this is what I'm saying. We're not just going to be a little better. Not just a little better. Perfect and completely transformed. Okay? I'm not just looking for, you know, my love handles to go away. I'm looking for a, a type of a body that I can't even imagine. More like Jesus in Revelation chapter 1 than Jesus in John chapter 21, okay? Something the mind can't quite grasp. And it has to be that way because there are some things about what we experience in heaven that that still don't make sense to me. Jesus says that we will uh, neither be married nor given in marriage. Anybody remember that story? And uh, I think, well, what is that? What does that mean? He says, you'll be like the angels. So the reality is that I will, okay, I've been married to my wife for 20 years now, um, going on 20 years this uh, next month. Wow. Um, I, it kind of hurts my feelings a little bit that we won't be married in heaven, but then I feel a little bit better. She won't be married to somebody else. (laughs) So... We don't take our spouse to heaven like that, but they can't get remarried. That's okay. I, I don't know what this is exactly like. I, I don't quite understand, but I, what I believe, um, because of what Scripture says, is that we will know each other. We will have relationships with each other. We will have a deeper, uh, more perfect experience of relationships with each other than we have now. Um, And so Paul says, 
we will know fully as we are fully known. So we're going to go into heaven with knowledge of people and our past and our, who we are and our identity and all those things. We're not going to lose a sense of that, I don't believe. And the reason, I don't know if you question this, this is one of the, probably the biggest questions or theories that I hear about heaven is that, well, we won't know each other, right? You ever heard that before? That we won't know people, we won't know each other, we won't know our past, we won't know, we'll just go to heaven with spiritual amnesia because of one verse, which is, and I get it, okay, I understand. He says, um, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, right? Death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And so, Based on that verse, people theorize a lot of things about what heaven must be. Well, how can heaven be a perfect place and without sadness, you follow me, if I know that my loved one, fill in the blank, is not there? That's the philosophical question that runs through our heads. We just don't understand how could I possibly be happy in heaven for eternity if I know that somebody is experiencing eternal condemnation in hell. Make sense? Well, I'm going to give you two things to think about. First of all, and I've said this before, but I haven't said it in a while, so I'll just say it this way. Now is the time to be urgently concerned about that. Now is the time. How concerned are you for your loved ones that you do not want to go to hell now? Anybody? This is the time. Share your faith. Witness to them. Point them to Jesus. Point them to the Bible. Invite them to church. Now's the time. Don't sit around and think that heaven's got to rearrange itself for you so you won't be sad because you didn't share your faith with somebody that needs to be in heaven. That it's got to, well, God's going to have to wipe my memory away so I don't remember that person. That's not how it works. He wants us to understand the warning. That's why I read verse 8. Okay, we could have stopped at verse 7. Yeah, it's going to be great. But guess what? There's some people that are choosing sin and evil and selfishness rather than the gospel, rather than Jesus. And here now's the time to warn, to invite, to share, to witness to encourage, to love, okay? Don't water down the gospel, okay? Everywhere I turn, of course, it's June. Love is love. Everywhere I turn, love is love. love of course, love is love. But what is it? And for the believer, love is sharing the truth about who Jesus is and what sin's going to do if you don't turn to him. But people don't want to hear that. They want to hear that everything's okay. Everyone will be okay. You don't have to do anything. God will just change the rules for you. That, that's fine. Live how you want. Everybody gets to go to heaven. And if the Bible said that, then I'd tell you that. Right? That'd be great if that's what the Bible said. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says your sin 
It gets in the way between you and God, and the only way for that sin to be taken care of is through Jesus Christ. And if you want to choose your sin over God, you can do that. But please don't say that you can choose your sin over God and you still get all his rewards. Because that's just not how he told us it was. So I want to be more concerned about my loved ones now and not be as concerned about what's going to happen in 10,000 years when we're still worshiping and celebrating and in the wonder and awe of God. The other thing is that Jesus says, um, who are my mother, my brothers, my sisters? Remember this? His, his uh, family had come um, to try to get control of him because he was um, preaching the gospel, uh, which is the narrow way to God through him. And they believed that he was going to get himself killed. Uh, lo and behold, <laughs> they were not wrong. But uh, he says, who are my mother and my brothers, my sisters? You remember what he says, who they are? Those who do what? The will of God. And I don't understand this because um, it's not easy to grasp how our relationships will shift in heaven. I, I can't tell you that it's, oh yes, just accept this, it's just easy. But what I'm telling you that, uh, and I've experienced this and some of you have too, that I'm more closely related to those who follow Jesus than those who do not, no matter how closely we are related in blood. Um, there's something about that relationship that when you um, have uh, a family, and it's, it can be a church family, um, but it's those who know Jesus. We have a kinship. We have a, an understanding and a connection. And you'll have that in heaven. And, and the, the relationships that you value now, I don't know that you will not value them in heaven. I'm not saying that, but I am saying that um, what will happen is he says he will wipe every tear away. He doesn't say they'll, you'll not have tears necessarily. He says you'll wipe them away. I think, this is my theory, and you take it or leave it, of course, with everything. I think that what happens is we do grieve that loss. There's a time of mourning, but he wipes that tear away, and we understand through more knowledge, through more understanding, through more relationship with God and more time with him, um, they chose. And it's fair. And it's right. And it's hard to accept, but it's, it wasn't, there wasn't anything more that I could do. Paul says, I've discharged my responsibility. I've shared the gospel. I've, I, I'm, I've done what I can to share with you who Jesus is. You have to do what you, you're going to do with it. I'll keep praying and I'll keep sharing and I'll keep inviting as long as I live. But at some point, everybody's got to make their choice. Amen? The invitation to come and be part of the greatest adventure and the greatest journey and the greatest experience that the universe has to offer through faith in Jesus Christ and knowing God is available as a free gift. 
why you would reject that, I, I, I still, I do know why. It's because people are blinded by our self. We're blinded by ourself. Instead of humbly just saying, okay, God, maybe I don't understand everything in this book. Maybe I don't quite grasp its depth or meaning, but I'm going to come to the place where I'm going to respect that you have told us who you are and what you want. Start there. And from there, teach me how to follow you. And I'll tell you what, you just do that, you're going to be on a path to growing spiritually in a way that most of the world doesn't even understand because it's so blinded by the things that Satan has thrown out there as lies. I'm seeing this more and more and more. I was thinking about this today. It used to be I thought that evolution was the biggest lie that Satan had used to just take people away from trusting in God. I, I think sexuality, sexual identity, gender identity, and those things have almost, if not have, surpassed this lie of evolution. It's just become so predominantly overwhelming that this is the, the tipping point for people. It's what concerns me about the direction that our country is going because if that becomes your predominant belief that I have to have the right to be however I want to be. Listen, pride is saying, I know better than God. Instead of saying, God, you know best, what do you want from me? He has better plans for us. Um, and maybe that's why in heaven, he says, you'll be like the angels. This, all this sexuality stuff that we're dealing with, you know, <laughs> I got a solution for that. I'm going to take care of it. And it, it'll be far better than anything that you've known. I don't know. I don't quite grasp all of it. But he says... Uh, in heaven, there's going to be a couple of things that we're going to do. Number one, we're going to worship. Amen. We're going to spend all of our time in the presence of God, and it's going to be an awesome thing. You, you think that we sing some really great songs now? I mean, it's when we're in heaven, it's going to be constant concert of worship. There's also going to be work. <laughs> groan. No, it's, it's going to be awesome. Um, the thing about work is that um, it was cursed after the fall. Adam had work in the garden. You know that? Before the, the, there was a fall, before there was sin, before any of that, Adam was given work to do in the garden, and it was creative, and it was joyful, and it was fulfilling, and it was fun. Wouldn't it be awesome if work could be that way again? It will be. Sometimes we get that in, on earth. We get fulfillment and joy in our work. But we're always constantly having to redo and, and change and figure out and fix. And it's never perfect. And go back and in heaven, man, we're going to be 
creatively just involved in God's work. And it's going to be a lot of fun. I hope you're there. Amen. Father, we love you. We thank you that your promises are absolute, secure. You made them. You spoke them. You guaranteed them through your son, Jesus. You um, confirmed them through the power of the Holy Spirit within us, Lord. If anybody here today has claimed Jesus Christ, Lord, that Holy Spirit in their heart is yearning for heaven, has its heart and mind focused on this reunion that we're going to have. And Lord, we look forward to um, that day where sin is dissolved and taken care of and thrown away and forever done away with. We look forward to the day that we're perfectly related to you, constantly in your manifest presence, Lord. What a, it's, I can't even imagine what that's going to be like, Lord. I, I only get glimpses of, of how it might feel. Lord, I, I thank you that you invite us to that. Not only do you invite us, Lord, you told us that. That is what we were made for. It's how we were created. It's how we were designed. Spend eternity with you in a perfect place. Lord, we, we pray that that invitation would ring out, Lord, to this world, that we would call everyone that we know to accept that invitation, <laughs> respond to it, make a choice, make a decision um, to receive your glory and to be glorified in response. Lord, we thank you. We give you all praise, God. It's your work, it's your power that accomplishes all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to invite you this morning just to celebrate, celebrate heaven, celebrate the overwhelming, hopefully, um, response of thankfulness that we get to, to go. And if the Lord is piercing your heart about a, a friend, a loved one, a neighbor, or a co-worker that, that you're concerned about, then maybe God is just saying, um, I'm inviting you, but I'm also inviting them. And maybe you're the, the person that's going to share that invitation. The, the altar is just a place for us to um, lay things down and say, God, yes, I'm saying yes to you. If, if God's calling you, you can do it where you're at. You can do it at home. You can do it wherever. But if God just pulls you to the altar, sometimes you know what I'm talking about, then come and kneel for even just a moment and say, yes, God. I'm, I want to do what you're calling me to do. Amen? Let's stand and sing.